Listening to the Noise Canceling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Welcome back, everyone, to the Noise Canceling Pod. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're happy to have you back after a, another, you know, less extended absence than we normally take. But, uh, you know, I, I would say we have a much better excuse than normal. Uh, we almost recorded this episode, uh, when was that, two and a half months ago? Like It I was almost so. like a week after the last episode, or two weeks, because we wanted to do it on the, the actual four-year anniversary of the Noise Canceling Pod. Um, and then I, I think I was the one that kicked the can, and then you kicked the can, and then Axel, what what happened? So we my, fir- my daughter, Jemison, was born on the 1st of January at 1.25 a.m., so she was the first baby born in the hospital. So I would expect nothing but greatness from you and Nana. Yeah, so <laughs> Jemison has taken up a lot of our time and a lot of our attention yeah. since the 1st of January. So she was born on one one twenty. So in theory, it should be pretty easy to keep track of her age. That is true. And so... That's pretty cool. The new, so yeah, we've been decade. enjoying the... Uh, fun and challenges of being brand new parents. Yeah, I've I've always I love that early stage just because they're they're so squishy and cute. But do you do you find it difficult to really stay engaged for like a long amount of time? I think her? I'm I think I'm still in awe right now. Yeah, and then even now it seems like every day she's doing something maybe small new that she hadn't done before like push up and be able to roll onto her back or uh i don't know how, how today she like grabbed this little ball thing and was like she didn't really know what she was doing but she grabbed it and was like swinging it around so it seems like every day she's doing something new that she hadn't done before i do love how that phase like snaps you into laser focus of like the little tiny things that change day to day and then you'd like think about you as as a somewhat full, fully formed human being, like if you could make those same incremental changes every oh, day, right. like like you really could not make the same level of improvements that they make, but it, it would be very meaningful over over time. Yeah, great point. <laughs> but yeah, it's it is amazing. All right, so just, what do we got on tap for today? Yeah, so it kind of is related to our, our topic for today. Uh, this is episode forty four. Um, as we've said, you know, our goal has always been to, to at least put out 11 episodes a year and, you know, a, a little over four years in, we're, uh, we're still maintaining that, <laughs> that steep pace. <laughs> yeah. Didn't so we decide it's once to, a, once a month in the holidays? That's true. Once, once a, a month, month the break for the holidays. The holidays. Yeah. That, that's yeah, true. That's gonna, true. We, it's a very like a BB, BBC style schedule. Yeah. We gotta have a little bit of catching up to do in 2020. So I went back and listened to a bunch of episodes, and and one episode that really stuck out was was going back to episode five, which I think was was January um, January or February four years ago exactly, and we we had said that we were going to do five episodes and then evaluate. Um, do you, do you remember some of the things that were going through your head back then? And, and how do you feel about it now going forward from episode 44? I don't know. I, I don't think I even remember. It's It feels like when I think back, in my mind, we just decided to do it. And I don't know that I was considering quitting. But <laughs> I, at least at the five, let me say it at the five point, the five episode mark. But I don't know. I don't remember. What yeah, was the conversation? I, I, I remember it pretty clearly, and obviously I, I have I have the benefit of going back and, and re-listening to it. 
there wasn't a lot of hesitation on on either of our our parts and I, I feel like now it's it's almost become like a a part of our our friendship to to keep in touch like I sometimes feel myself cutting our conversation short to be like oh I want to get I want to record this for the <laughs> podcast I I was telling someone else that probably we have more conversations recorded via podcast than recorded not like then that happened off the podcast it's pretty close it might be close it's probably somewhat close i mean we definitely had a big head start prior to the podcast but yeah oh i mean it's at some point gonna catch up i since the podcast started i mean oh since the podcast started i'm sure i'm sure it might have have outpaced it by i don't know 10 so far yeah but yeah, no, I, I I do like it. But yeah, so so just you know what I like is it it just feels like a part of our life, and I think we've found this nice pace and schedule where when something interesting kind of bubbles up, um, it's almost like a form of meditation where you know an interesting topic comes into mind, and we we put together some show notes and and jump on and talk about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. I in fact I think I feel like once we got to five we were rolling pretty good. I think the biggest decision was when we decided just to post the beta because I think we had maybe this idea that we would even do like five practice podcasts and then, okay, see where it goes. And then we, I think we just decided now we're even going to post episode zero. And I felt like that was a, a smart choice because it got us going and then we didn't care as much. That is true. We, we realized that there was, there was only improvement to be had. Um, I, I agree. That was really... I don't remember which one of us decided to do that. I feel like that was probably your idea. I don't know. I, <laughs> I So I'm looking through the notes, and the other thing I wanted to discuss when it talks about whether we were going to continue with the pod was when we were seriously quitting. And I think we, ever got, we recorded like a final episode, but then you got this bid on the advertisement. Was that really what pulled it back? <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure because, well, you got the bid for spiders will eat your face. And so you're like, hey, man, we got this bid. We got to do at least one. Or then I think he bought like three ads or something. Yeah. And so we're like, well, shoot, I guess this is a sign. We have to keep this going through the advertisement phase. That was a good point. Yep, that was that's the biggest monetization of this entire pod's history. Yeah. Was this pr- spiders will eat my face yeah. documentary? <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we like we are we were recording the final episodes and then that thing just got th- us to go the extra five or whatever and I then think, here we are. I think you're right. I think we did actually have show notes for like our final episode and talking about our favorite memories from the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I mean, I think that was the biggest thing that came to mind when I'm talking about staying the course and the value of being patient. Um, and I, I think for me, it's you know evaluating the benefit of something, and then also you know I think sometimes we talk about the value of setting audacious goals. Um, mm-hmm. But really, you know, being able to reflect on those and having some. Um, some decision matrix to, you know, when is it, when is it beneficial to keep going strong? You know, is there some, like for me, I, it comes down to silly things like reading a book. Like there's often times where I get to a point, I'm like, I, I don't like this book. This book is, is not, not very good. Um, and I'll just keep reading it because there is some inherent value for, slogging through something that you don't necessarily like because most of the time if you like something it's something that's either going to agree with what you what you believe Mm. in or it's already going to be in like a specific style that speaks to what you enjoy and so to to push through that sometimes I find you know some of those books are the most challenging where it it changes my mindset and I, I I said there I read this book that I really hated like despise least favorite book I've ever read read and after I got mm-hmm. done, I was like, well, why did I dislike it so much? And I think part of it was because the book was kind of describing uh, a closed-mindedness that I was holding on to myself. Oh, wow. And it, was, it was like espousing that as like the ideal. And I was like, no, that's, that's gross. Like, I, I hate this. Like, I really didn't like it. And then I was like, oh, maybe I'm, 
maybe I'm demonstrating that a little bit too much. Maybe that's like a little too close to home, and that's why I didn't like that that was the ideal. Yeah. Wow, that's an interesting idea. So I don't know. I've I've done that a, a decent number of times for books I didn't like, and it it really has changed how I how I consume books, especially. And I don't know, as somebody who will read too fast and lose a lot of the content, like I found that I've picked up a lot more from reading books that I don't enjoy. <laughs> interesting, because there's a lot of theories out there that as soon as you find a book boring, you should put it down and move on to something else. So this is a perspective that I have not heard, but it's interesting. I think it's probably true. If, do you think it's it was the topic was not interesting or the message was was it was it was the message not the like quality of writing i mean to be honest it was kind of both like i I still don't think it was a very good book but i i did you know having read the entire thing and um you know going back and feeling more challenged for how i interpreted and how i was gonna live kind of the conclusion of that um yeah, I, f- I felt like there was there's a lot of value. It, it wasn't mm. written very well, and I, I don't necessarily think this applies to like works of fiction quite as much. Like, I, okay, got I, it. I th- I think it could like in terms of expanding genres that you like to read, but I, I I do think it's more in terms of nonfiction, like picking up on concepts and challenging challenging how you think and how you process the world. Yeah, huh? Even I was just thinking like even with fiction, I don't think I've tried to read a really challenging book in a while where where it's maybe at a level or in some ways hard for you for me to read so i don't know i would probably have a similar experience where i wouldn't want to do it but it would be good for me to keep working my way through the book yeah i found that a lot with like going back and reading what what are considered classic books you know like a lot of them yeah even like charles dickens isn't always that much fun to read but i i do think in terms of enjoying different styles and, and understanding why that writing was so influential for future artists and authors. I mean, I, I think it's yeah. pretty, pretty cool. Nice. So one thing, my phone just turned off, so that's not convenient. Um, I wanted to get a fantasy sports update. How, how has okay. that project been going? I know it's going back. Um, last time we talked about it was probably a year and a half ago. Okay, so the... This is the website that when I first started learning programming, I was in this fantasy sports league with a bunch of my college buddies. And the guy who was running it, well, the sports league, you pick players or teams instead of players. And my buddy who was running it was running it with spreadsheets and email. And so I wrote the the app to kind of manage the sports league. And it's still going strong. Uh, this app's still working. Sometimes I forget that it's, running so that's a good thing i guess so i'm not constantly trying to fix things that are broken mm-hmm. but we have expanded it to four divisions and then they added it he added a keeper league so there's probably let's see like eight, there's like 60 teams in the across all the different leagues and probably like 70 different users that people that log in because some of the teams have two two owners and you're still managing all that yeah, well, the website's still running, and I'm still okay. I took a break over the last couple months from that, also, mm-hmm. but I just made like my first small update to the site this last week. Interesting. And in terms of program programming in general, how how has that how has that been coming along in the last twelve months? It's uh, still going strong. Like I'm r- still interested in it. What was that? I'm still working on different new projects, so. The last couple of things, I, the last thing that I was working with, we, I went to, there's this organization called AFWorks in the Air Force, so it's mm-hmm. an organization that's interested in doing innovation. I went to a big workshop for them, and we broke up into teams of about four and wrote up guides on different topics that we were, I guess I'll call ourselves like experts or you're knowledgeable mm-hmm. in. And so we wrote these 16 Word document guides and then the question was like, what are we going to do with these guides? Do we email them out? Because then, like, there's no no version control, and you don't know like where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Do you just post them on a Google Drive? But if you post them there, it's not searchable, and like, who's going to go find it? So I had this right. idea of, of doing a website that uh, ho- hosts documents or hosts text, and then 
it's set up so that it, if someone sees an area that they think they can fix, then it's pretty easy for them to submit a change. And then in the code, you just accept the change and then it updates the site. So that was my last project was writing up this site to host these documents. And then it's made so that if someone reviews the documents and thinks they can improve it, it's pretty easy for them to make changes. Interesting. That's cool. So it's so like my last internal Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is like a little wiki, wiki site. Yeah, with more control, I guess, probably. Yeah, like ultimately, anyone can submit changes, but at this point, me or someone else on the team that has the approval rights has to approve the changes. Sorry, I uh, seem to be having a slight audio connection problem. Are you still there? Yeah. All right, I think I'm back. Okay. Can you hear? Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. It just froze up. No worries. So I just finished explaining the concept for the site. Gotcha. So that's awesome. So, I mean, I think that's, that's really great that you continue to push through on that. Do you feel like you've learned a lot in the past year in terms of, you know, I don't know, new languages or, or new ways to implement what you know in terms of programming? I think I'm still learning stuff. I'm in, I'm in the position because it's just a hobby that I can go learn new things whenever I want. So it's not like I'm stuck at a job where I'm doing the same thing over and over again and I'm stuck doing that same thing. So if I I think I do a good job of re going out and learning new things. In some ways I probably jump around too much and to ultimately for long term should probably like become an expert at least in some specific area. Mm -hmm. And then like have knowledge on a bunch of different things but spend a little bit more time becoming an expert in a certain area. That's interesting. So I was actually debating that same exact topic as I was going through the show notes, thinking back to, you know, not only this podcast, but I, th I think both of us have a very similar attitude that, you know, if we can get to 90% of the excellence that we, w we wish to achieve, it's hard for us to keep pushing past that 90%. Uh, 100% agree. So I, yeah. I don't know. I, I still am a little bit torn because I, 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 I feel like in the last couple of years I have started to come around to the idea that becoming truly an expert is, is very valuable. Um, and especially in any of our professional endeavors. But I, I do think in terms of, of hobbies, I think I've changed my scale a little bit. I think if I learn something well enough that I can teach it to others... Like that to me is, is kind of the money zone where, you know, you may not be able to do that professionally. I, d I just think back to, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, I had some of my friends over and I, I taught them all how to brew beer at home. Mm -hmm. And because I had spent, I mean, I don't know, I, I hate to admit that I spend as much time learning about beer and coffee as I do about professional endeavors, but it's, it's probably true in the last six years. I mean, yeah. I, I really, you know before kids dove into learning how to brew beer at a, at a very high level and even kind of understanding the commercial elements of it as well. But, you know, being able to describe that to them and walk them through the process where, you know, they could probably take that knowledge back and start brewing their own beer like that, that surprised me how, how much satisfaction it gave me to like almost teach a class in my kitchen in terms of brewing beer. Yeah. Well, I think the Feynman technique is, learn something, teach a baby how to do it or teach someone how to do it. And then if you can't do that, like you didn't actually learn it to begin with. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I feel like my, my thought process has changed a little bit on that. Um, one other thing I did want to go through, um, knowing when to quit. So I'm, like I said, I think there's a lot of value in, in staying the course, even in things that may not be super enjoyable, including books. But I do think that there's an element of, you know, knowing when to cut bait and run. Um, 
And the two prime examples that I've talked about on the podcast were my four minute mile endeavor. Um, yeah. And then do you, do you even remember when I had the global crier? I absolutely remember the global crier. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> so for those of that don't remember, this was like, this was again, I think at least four years ago, maybe three years ago. Um, I, I tried this idea of, uh, what did I call it? A picapod? where it was like a two minute podcast that I try to put out like two or three times a week, um, that just try to encapsulate all the news from that time period into this, this one little, little podcast. And I, I think I quit after, I don't know, four or five episodes. Did, now, just be, yeah, yeah, did you, did we put it on this or was that its own separate podcast? It had its own podcast. Feed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we had. I think we posted like the first episode, mm-hmm. but it, it did actually have its own RSS feed for, nice. for a while. Okay, I it's, thought that the the reason that you quit was that it, it took way more time than you expected to produce it. That was definitely part of it. It it took a lot of time to to write it all out in a very scripted, uniform manner from episode to episode. Um, but I don't I don't think back then that had a lot of legs. Like I think, I think now because there's so many things and so much on YouTube, where people just need information condensed down to a pretty small level. Like I, I still don't even know now if if that form of like a three minute podcast would really be popular. Why well, are you considering kicking it back up? I, well, I kind of like I'm, it. I, I do like it, and I, I think it's really been popularized you know, in the last year, especially of these like really short news podcasts and YouTube channels. Um, but I don't think it would have to be quite in the same pilot. Like there was like a, it was a scripted podcast right? when, when I did it to get it so, so condensed. Um, I'm sure there's a way I could do it in 10 minutes where a, it would be way less work and B it would probably include more meaningful news, um, that people would actually like. Hmm. I, I support you giving another shot. <laughs> I think we need a new rebrand, though. I don't know if the Global Crier is. is I love the, the Global Crier. <laughs> I think I need to. So, at the end of this episode, I'm gonna. I need to pull one of those episodes down, and then I'm gonna paste it to the end of the episode. So, <laughs> listeners, if you stick with this one or skip ahead, if you run out of steam, then you'll hear the Global Crier. <laughs> And if anybody cares, just please comment on comment on this, or you can tweet at us that you want the global cry to come back. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I quit on was the four minute mile. I'm, I'm sure most of you guys remember that if you've been with us for any time period. Uh, I think that one just comes down to you know physical limitations. If I'm being honest, I thought you had a we're trying to get to a five minute mile. No, it was a four minute mile goal. Like I, I think a five minute mile is a realistic target at okay, this point. Okay. But yeah, it was like <laughs> It was an audacious goal. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was a four minute yeah. mile. Yeah. It was yeah. a four minute mile. Sometimes you gotta have, make them to have a wide a wise crazy goal to make it happen. I think it, I mean I think that's definitely true for new pursuits. I mean I think you need something that gets you really excited. I think if it had been a five minute goal, like I, I don't know, you could make an argument that I, I may have still gotten there, but I, I don't think I would have put the the time and effort into yeah. researching and like figuring out the type of you know speed I would need to generate to actually get there. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I feel like that was a good study of like how much work you should put in and then really evaluating yourself and, and being self-aware enough to know like, Hey, this, this is just not going to happen. The thing that I love while I'm thinking about this is a lot of people would just say that they would do a four minute mile and then that would be it. But you actually committed a lot of time and resources and effort towards the four minute mile. You didn't just say on the podcast and do nothing. No, I mean, it wasn't like it. I I trained for, it was five and a half months. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, it was through through a lot of injuries, actually, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but figuring out where to go in Nashville, how to train inside when it was too hot. There was, uh, 
you know, there was, there was a lot going <laughs> that's on. That's awesome. It, it was not a huge return on investment. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You have some other notes in here about quitting maybe before you should. So the next, the one you talk about is writing books, writing, yeah, writing books. Now, the origin of the podcast, for people that don't know, is that Frank emailed or called me and said, hey, what do you think about writing a book together? And then I told him I was too lazy to do that, but what do you think about (laughs) discussing the content of the book, and then you could write the book afterwards? So... Is it that book or did we talk about it again? So in, I think it was episode eight. I think yeah, eight it says was eight. a crazy idea. Yeah, so in eight, I was talking about, I had a couple kids books ideas. Um, <laughs> the kids book idea was kind of stupid, but um, I wanted to write like an actual fiction novel. Um, I mean, kind of similar, like a Jason Bourne type book, mm-hmm. but other than like writing an outline, it never really went past that level. And I think I'm not extending this as something I should have done because I think I'm going to be a best-selling author, but I do think that it really feeds a part of my brain, um, to sit down and, and do something creative, like writing a chapter, even, you know, outlining a book and figuring out who the characters are. I think that feeds a part of my brain that it's hard to access most most days. Mm, yeah, and like gives me a, gives me a lot of energy because I I don't know I start a lot of things and I, I don't always finish them. Um, but I I do think there's some I don't know there's this mental catharsis of of getting something down on a piece of paper um, or on your computer, obviously. But where you you just sit down and and take something from a concept in your mind to actually a fully thought through idea on a, on a piece of paper. I, it, for me, it, it really is better than um, meditation. It, it's better than really almost anything in terms of at the end of the day, like still feeling rejuvenated before I go to bed. And so I, I wish I would go get back and pursue that a little bit more, even just in terms of you know, writing for myself, like not even with the goal of getting it published or having somebody read it, but just to, you know, be creative and, and getting that out into the world, not into the world, yeah. but out of my mind and onto the paper. Yeah. I think, I don't think I've written a fiction document in years, but I do enjoy writing. If I, if I, well, someone I was reading or listening to a po- on a podcast, they said that they're, idea for 2020 was when they told someone like two different people something they decided they're going to write it down and they would have this source document of like knowledge that Mm -hmm. they could post somewhere as a blog post or they would at least have this email saved so that when they got this question they wouldn't have to rewrite it from scratch every single time oh that's a good idea what would you call that like you're, I don't you're know where you would save knowledge it. base. Yeah, but it's. I mean, you could just save it as a, as just a drafted email. Honestly. Yeah, I've kind of used it. We get a lot of questions about our pitch day, and so mm-hmm. I kind of have a draft email that people probably think I've spent all this time personalizing this email to them about our pitch day, but it's like <laughs> the like draft that I pull in. Usually, I add a couple notes in there, but. The content is generally the same for that I send out to people, but I think if you find yourself answering the same question over and over again, I guess it's just like a frequently asked question page for yourself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that'd be cool both for your work that you do professionally, but I, I think when you give people advice or things come up in conversation, like I mm. think that's even if it's like recommendations, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what what should I do when I go to New York? Or, you know, what what's a, a book that you've read lately that's really good? Like, keeping track of all that would be oh, yeah. not necessarily that beneficial, but it would be really interesting to track over the year of just, like, the things that, that come up in conversation. that Not that you can recycle, but just to kind of keep track of and see, like, almost like a mental map of, like, where conversations go and what people are interested in. Yeah, you're 100% right. Wow. That'd be cool. That's a great idea. So one thing I wanted to get back to, and 
I'll be honest, there's not a lot about you that bothers me, Axel, but the fact that your Mixcloud account has not had a new mix on it for <laughs> like six years, I'll be honest, I'll still go back and listen to the old ones that you posted from a long time ago because they were really good. So can can you give me an update on where we're at DJ-wise? So DJing, complete hiatus. I think I did a couple mixes when I first got to DC and then I have not done any since. The one thing that I did do was buy Nana DJ lessons. And so she's, I think she's gone to two different classes in New York City. And she definitely can pick music better than I can. So watch for Nana overtaking me. She doesn't have a Mixcloud account yet, but look out for her in the next year or two uh, with some skills. I I, I definitely do. I mean, she's better than you. I'm... 100% 100% on board. So yeah, that, so that would be awesome. But in general, oh, it's I haven't done a whole lot with it. I've a couple times I've considered going back and making one. I'm not sure how long it would take. It would probably take me just a few hours to like remind myself how everything works and then grab a few songs and put them together. That might be kind of fun. Yeah. So where do you feel like your skills got up to in in that vein? Like where like if you gave it a percentage, where where do you think See, your, your peak DJing hit? I think in terms of mixing music together, I got pretty good. But I think it's a whole nother game when you're DJing to a live crowd, which I never really I did maybe twice. So I think my technical skills, granted I was using electronic mixing tools, so I wasn't just like doing it completely by ear. But I think I got pretty good at that. But live crowd, I never, I never uh, went went for it and nice. made it happen over and over again to get the experience. Yeah. Do you feel like like how many reps do you think it would take to really feel comfortable in doing that? Where you didn't like where you were really just kind of listening to the vibe and like mixing truly live. I think that. To become passable, I think it would take maybe like 10. And then to get re- like really good, I'm sure it would take like hundreds or a hundred or something yeah. like that. Yeah. That's cool. But even um, then, like one- sometimes I'll, li- I'll be listening to DJs and not that I'm absolutely great, but some DJs have more, like they're willing to put themselves out there and the, like I can hear errors in their mix, but at the same time mm-hmm. they're out there DJing and I'm just sitting here listening to them doing nothing. So I uh, right. get on them for getting out there and making it happen. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's some DJs that just kind of have their preset mix and hit play and that's all they do. Get the crowd pumped up. Yeah. So I, I, I still, like I said, some of your, I encourage people, can you shout out your old mix cloud? <laughs> do you remember the like the name on it? Is I it think just it's just Axel Clark? Clark. Oh, it may just be Axel. I'll have to. We could. We oh could yeah, it is toss Axel. it. That's we right. can just toss that into the show notes. Yeah, guys, I highly encourage it. There's some. There's some great tracks going back some some years in the EDM, but it's 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 definitely worth a re-listen because I'll like I said I'll still go back probably maybe quarterly and throw in a mix yeah. while I'm at work if I if I need to knock out something something challenging. I think um, I just went the, through all the mixes maybe a couple months ago. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to follow up on is um, the quest for the backflip. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's never going to happen. Maybe my child will think do so? a backflip, but that's not going to happen for me. No. Are you, you've ruled it out completely. That goes into the no we'll I want to call it quits category. Yeah, that one's that's not gonna happen. <laughs> um, one thing, this is not knowing when to quit, but I, I thought really solid advice for um, just life in general was when you were talking about taking out your headphones when you lived in DC. Oh right. I feel like being present has been a huge goal. Not not goal, but been much more talked about just in general media and like in terms of living your best life. Are you still uh headphoneless when, when you're out and around or have you, have you gone to the dark side? I think I, when I'm walking about, I 
don't put headphones in. I guess another example would be when I play disc golf, I've considered wearing headphones, but then I don't like it because I like to guess be outside and hear nature. And then, nice. so I think there are still occasions when some people would wear headphones that I would rather just have not, not have them in. Yeah. I'm, I'm always torn on bike rides and runs, whether to go headphones or not. And, I'll be honest, I, I fall more on the headphones yeah. for the advantage of listening to music. Yeah, on the runs, I almost exclusively wear headphones. Yeah, I, I think that's valid. But when I, I, I guess, but when I mountain bike, I do not wear headphones anymore. I would, which is, I guess it's kind of dangerous to wear headphones when you're mountain biking, but I know that I used to do that occasionally. Yeah, for sure. And then transitioning into ways to kind of push the limit and, and make yourself better. Um, in episode 24, you were talking about how valuable it is um, to get like new sets of, of um, airmen in for deployments um, and assignments and how, you know, after I think the time frame is, I think you said like 10 months you really can no longer look at the situation with fresh eyes. And I think you even said, like, I, I just wish that, you know, you could magically look at your same situation with fresh eyes for the, the first time again. Um, do you feel like you have any new perspective on that? Um, you know, being in some longer assignments um, the last few years and then maybe even pivoting to, you know, being a new dad, like has, has that mm. set of fresh eyes like like changed that perspective at all? So I think I I think I was mostly talking about when I was deployed and it, like there your people always have a fresh set of eyes. Now that was a one year assignment. Now I've been here for three years, and I think it just keeps getting harder and harder. At the time, I think I, I also have talked about like resetting each year or resetting after two years to have the same level of excitement. I think that's mm -hmm. really hard to do. So I don't know. That's that was a challenge. Now having a a baby, I think, has changed maybe my priorities or my perspective. Mm -hmm. So that definitely has changed how I look at life and probably adjusted my priorities compared to before. So that's changed it, but I think I still it's still very hard once you've been in a job for like for so long to look at it from a new perspective in some ways like when i do my meet and greets with my new folks mm -hmm. it's like i'm kind of jealous because they i'm just like begging them to make suggestions because i know they'll be able to see things that i just it's become part of life now and i it may not have been great but now i'm used to it yeah that's that's awesome so is there any specific way that you encourage um, more feedback, more transparency, where it really does for new people feel like any suggestion to you mm. will go? Because I'm sure there's still resistance on the team because nobody likes change. Nobody likes a new guy to tell them what, what their business is. Yeah. But do you, do you feel like there's anything in particular that you do that, that kind of helps them to understand like, hey, any feedback you have is welcome, you know, I, I wish I could provide the feedback that, that you'll yeah. see. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I talk to people about it, but I don't think I have a good follow-up. That's probably a weakness. Like, I talk about it, but then I don't have a good way to follow up and ask them and then ask them for their feedback and then verify that the change is made based on the feedback. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's that might be the hardest part of onboarding new people is, you know, you're so focused on, on getting them in and settled and part of the team and feeling welcome and trained um, and performing at an adequate level that once you get there, I mean, you're kind of on to the next thing or you're for you, you're probably already meeting another new person. And so like figuring out how to close that feedback loop and encourage them at that point where they kind of understand what they're doing, but they're not, they're not, not new anymore. Like yeah. That, that would definitely be, a huge challenge mm. and for me on my team i know i haven't done a good job of doing that yeah oh, that's a good point so i had i hate to go back and quote myself but I, I thought in episode 17 um i thought i had at least one fairly good point 
Oh, great. Um, oh. <laughs> so uh, the quote was, regret is proportional to how far from your limit you've reached. Okay. And I, I like that as as a concept. I mean, it's one of those things that kind of sounds like something that somebody would write on like some barn wood and put it in their bathroom. Um, yeah. But I, I do think it's true um, in a sense where, you know, we, we kind of all understand what our potential is. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you said about my four minute mile, like the, the disappointment wasn't even necessarily like there wasn't really even disappointment from that because I, I had reached close enough to my potential that I didn't feel any regret in quitting. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think, I think for me, it's pretty true. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good perspective because what you're really talking about is measuring against yourself instead of looking around and trying to measure yourself against others, which I think that's important and that's a better perspective to have most likely. Yeah. I, I, for me, I think regret is one of the, the most pernicious of emotions um, because it, it's something that you can never rectify if you really feel true regret um, and you just have to, either figure out how to <laughs> how to live with it or or bury it down and I, I i personally feel like in terms of pursuits i i have i have always like been lucky that i've gotten to pursue things as far as as far as i have i mean like who can spend five months trying to get a four minute True. mile <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and, and even if it ends in spectacular fa- failure at least at least i had the opportunity to try it so I, I don't know. I, I like that one. So regret is proportional to how far from your limit you reached. Nice. I like that one. And then dealing with degrees of failure helps you to learn about yourself. So kind of back to the four minute mile, like it didn't really feel like a huge failure because it, it was as close to that as I was probably going to get at that phase. Yeah. So I don't know. How do you, how do you deal with failure? Because I mean, I know in in your profession, like failure is not an option is something that people throw around a lot and, and you, you perform at a very high level, um, year to year. So, I mean, how, how do you deal with situations that uh, don't go as well? Or, you know, some people might classify it as a failure. Well, I think that the most important thing is to, at the end, step back and ask yourself, like learn from it. Mm-hmm. So, don't dwell on it for too long, but like right to me, it's like either writing down or somehow submitting the lessons learned mm-hmm. so that you learn from that failure moving forward. And that's the, I don't know. I think that, I think you're going to fail in life often. So like learning from the failure and keeping a positive attitude, I think it's important. For sure. Do you feel like it's hard for you to, you know, move past. Cause I think for a lot of people getting to that phase where you're like, okay, I'm going to write down my lessons learned, you know, happens after you get over that initial emotion of, of the failure or feeling regretful, you know, like where do you fall in, in that realm? Like, do you just hit, hit the failure and you know, you're basically pressing the reset button as the failures occurring or like, like talk me through that process a little bit more. I feel like in most cases, you're it's never i haven't had just like an absolute complete failure it's Mm -hmm. always been like we could have done better but we ultimately accomplished but it could have been better Mm -hmm. which is easier to deal with for sure yeah Yeah. i don't think i've had like a just i mean i'm knocking on wood but i haven't had just like a completely spectacular failure i've had like plenty of failures right and I, I mean, them, I think some, sometimes I just have to accept dealing that with those degrees of like for some people, like small failures and I can really trip them up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sorry, I, I think over. Uh, no worries. I think that um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I I know for me, just thinking back to you know, whether it was in sports, whether it was in school, um, you know, whether it was a project that didn't end as well as I wanted to, I, 
I, I kind of fall in the same camp as you where, you know, the failure is less important than the response and, you know, how, how you collect yourself, how you collect your team, how you encourage the people around you, or even encourage yourself to, to get back up and try something different or try it in a different way is nearly always more important than what actually happened. Yeah. I don't know. Then I think I talk a lot about attitude, but your attitude coming out of that is from my perspective, the key. Totally. Like you said, staying positive, tracking, tracking what you did wrong and making sure you don't do it again. Uh, I mean, it's such, such a good approach. Yeah. And I think it's also important. It's probably easy to blame others for your failure and, Usually, it may be a lot of someone else's fault, but there's probably a little bit of blame or ways that you could have done better too. So, trying to stay away from like just blaming others and moving on, I think is important. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. You know, talking about that internal locus of control that that is so helpful because you you can't really change what's happening around you. You can't you can't necessarily change how people did their jobs or, or didn't do their jobs, but, but you can change, like you said, your response and your attitude moving forward. Yeah. One thing that this is brought to mind, like, I think that in life there is skill in getting other people to do what you want them to do on time. And some people will, well, I'll just get, they'll send an email and then they'll wait and then like the person doesn't do it on time and then they're like, well, what was I supposed to do? I sent the email. But I think there's like different techniques that you can do in life that either makes it easier for them to accomplish the task or you're following up in a way that is not uh, confrontational. But there's different techniques you can use to help people get things done when they don't report to you and but their timeline is important. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of like learning that, that that is a reality, I think is sometimes hard for people. I mean, that's the challenge of what would you say? Every project manager, every program manager. Yeah. Because to your point, they don't have direct control over the process, but they, the, the pieces are all equally important for them to, to manage through that. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the art right there of, of being assertive without turning people off to the process. Yeah. Yeah. But People who figure that out, they are very, very valuable. Very valuable, and, and you know they lead very successful teams because most of the time, the way they get that done is by, you know, people liking them. You know, to a certain extent. Like I, I think there's there's very direct people that get things done, but you know, most of the time, if somebody's overly direct, like it's going to rub some people the wrong way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in Minnesota, and like <laughs> directness is ranks pretty low on the the scale of <laughs> positive positive qualities and traits. Yeah. So, well, that's all that I had. Did you have any other thoughts from the first forty four episodes? I don't think I have any. I need to go back. I'll go back and listen to some of them on the way in. But nice. did you listen to all of them, or you listened to a select few of them? I, I think I listened to nearly all of them where it was just you and I. Okay. Um, uh, I went back and listened to Miriam. Um, I didn't listen to as many of the the guests that we had on, but mm-hmm. I, I pretty much listened to all of the ones that, that you and okay. I were on. Nice. I'll have to go back and do that. I'm sure we'll all learn something from, from you in the previous episodes. Something <laughs> that I learned at the time and then have forgotten. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we've forgotten many more words than we've spoken on the the 38 recorded hours that we have on the show. Yeah. But that's awesome. Well, Axel, I appreciate you. Thanks for sticking through the course for 4 years and you know, if I had a drink right now, I'd toast to it another 4 more years. Yeah, all right, sounds good. So with that, we're signing off. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Enjoy an episode of the global crier (laughs) enjoy everyone
Welcome to episode 2 of the Global Crier, the only news extract Pico pod that promises the news of the week in 90 seconds or less. I'm your host, Frank Boyce, and a special thanks to the early reset for that great intro. Now let's get to the news. 90 seconds on the clock, boom goes the dynamite. First up, Momo change in the primaries. This week saw a slight change in momentum as Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz had victories in Wisconsin. However, the GOP primaries for the rest of April are all along the eastern seaboard, where Ted Cruz has not found a lot of friends with his random acts of ineloquence, where he's been creating a false dialogue about New York values. I mean, Democrat or Republican, New York City is the epicenter of the American dream. Also, if you've ever actually spent time in New York, you know that the people that live and work in New York City are just like the rest of us. They just get the benefit of living in the greatest city in the world. Next week, the U.S. Commerce Department is co-hosting the first Smart Fabric Summit in Washington. I'm excited because if they can figure out how to control the temperature of our clothing, there will be a 100% decrease in cohabitative thermostat fighting. That's a win-win. The Golden State Warriors continue their march toward history, and I continue my pledge to not talking about sports news in this podcast. This week's soapbox, the Panama Papers. First off, I'd like to rail against the controlled leak. Note, I'm using air quotes here. If you're going to steal files and pretend that it's for transparency, then you should transparently reveal everything that's in the files, not roll them out in a way that offers your selected news outlets the best opportunity for profit. Secondly, and I hate to sound like the crotchety old man, but is anyone really surprised by these findings? Oh, you mean the leaders around the world use shell corporations to hide where their money comes from and is actually going? I'm honestly surprised that this story has been talked about as much as it has been. Yet, I have to admit that I'm excited by the idea of revealing more corrupt officials from around the world, and that's when the next release of Documents comes about in May. That concludes Episode 2 of The Global Crier. Keep listening next week, and as always, go forth and discuss.